Lord bless me to preach like he blesses Jerry to pray. It's going to be a good day. You ever want to know what the gift of exhortation? You ever want to know what that is? You've just seen it. I thought my thought is that uh, I've now got to stand before God's people after a wonderful weekend meeting. And I, I oftentimes feel like Moses did when the Lord was commanding Moses. Moses said, don't send me to the mountain if you're not going to go with me. <clears throat> this attempt to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 10 this morning. Because there is, uh, there's, a, there's a little verse I just wake up saying to myself periodically through the week. There's a wonderful passage uh, in, in John 10. Those of you that are Bible readers know that this is the passage about Jesus, the great shepherd. The Bible tells us uh, that as Jesus walked in... Uh, the temple in Solomon's porch here in John 10, that in verse 24 that there came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, I'd like you to notice here, just, just, before, just before we go any further, there are people who ask questions, not out of curiosity. There are people who ask questions out of deliberate ignorance. They're not curious if he really is the Savior, because he's going to answer the question they're asking with this simple phrase. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. There's a principle in this world called the principle of cause and effect. That there is a first great initial cause, and there is an after effect of that cause. Something happens, it affects other things. Something happens, there's a result. Um, in the Christian world, there is a first initial great cause. God said. In the beginning, God created. Atheists think they, think they have us nailed to the wall when they say, well, where did God come from? That's easy. God didn't come from anywhere. He's self-existent. He's always been. You say, well, that's just foolish. That's an easy cop-out for Christians. Uh, dear evolutionist, <clears throat> what caused the Big Bang? Where did that matter that exploded 
and created all that you see. Where did it come from? Did it just exist? Did it create itself? That's an ignorant statement in and of itself that science itself wouldn't even accept. God is the first initial cause. And the effect is we have this world. Adam was the first initial cause when he sinned in the garden. And the effect is we have sin in our life and in this world around us. So Jesus says to these Jewish people, he says, ye believe not. What's the cause for their unbelief? Is it that they're stubborn? Is it that they're hard headed? Is the fact they won't believe because they haven't heard the message clear enough? No. Jesus simply says, ye believe not. Because you're not of my sheep. The simple deductive reasoning that you gather from this is that in order to believe in God, you have to first be a sheep. You don't believe to become a sheep. You're a sheep. And because of that, the effect that comes from it is belief in God. Now, when he says to them, I told you and ye believe not, you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you, um, you can turn back to John 5 and verse 36 and see this conversation or Maybe not this exact conversation, but one similar to it. Verse 36 of John 5 says, But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Now, I'd like to just pause just for a second and ask you to look and remember and maybe just hang your hat on this nail. The works which my Father hath given given me. That little phrase, the Father hath given me. Now, we understand that in this context, there is something that's been given by the Father to the Son. There's something been given by the Father to the Son for the Son to do. Okay. Let's go back to just reading. And one of the good things about... One of the good things about... Uh, Proper biblical truth is oftentimes all you have to do is just read the Bible. Now, it's if you have a question, call your pastor. If you have a question, email your pastor. Messenger on Facebook, whatever. He'd be glad to help you. But I guarantee you also a lot of times, all you got to do is read the Bible. It's these big egghead theologians out here that try and think high and lofty things, make you think that the only person that really knows the Bible are those that come out of the seminary down here. But I guarantee you there are a lot of people who come out of seminary worse off than when they went in. They can come out with the Bible under their arm and a song in their mouth. 
and no knowledge of God in their heart. He says in verse 37, And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think that ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I told you that I was the Christ, and you believe not. Believing that I am the Christ is not going to come out of education. Believing that I am the Christ is not going to come out of illustration. Science has often said we want just one miracle. If we could see just one miracle, we'll believe. They will not. They didn't believe in Jesus' day. They will not believe in our day. As a matter of fact, when Jesus says the works that I do, we're back in John 10 now, He says the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of Me. His works did not make Him Christ. What He did did not make Him Christ. He was Christ and He demonstrated it by what He did. The very fact that He could walk on water didn't make Him Christ. It showed He was Christ. The very fact that He could say to the, to the winds and the waves, Peace, be still, and there was a, a, a great peace and an immediate calm, didn't make Him God. They showed He was God. The works that He did in His Father's name bore witness of who He was. And if you have been blessed by God to do good things in the name of God, they don't make you a child of God. They prove you are a child of God. My children don't have red hair to become my children. My children aren't six foot two and have become my children. You know, people used to ask uh, Elder Sonny Piles, how did you and Brother David get to be so very, very tall? And his answer simply was, we carefully selected our ancestors. Now, we laugh and giggle at that, right? That's pretty funny. Well, how did you get to become a child of God? Well, I just carefully selected my ancestors. No. There's a God in heaven who's done a work. I'm the recipient. You're the recipient. There's a vast number of people who are a recipient of the work of God done in their hearts. And the outflow of that is seen in daily life. He says here, um, where are we at here? 25, John 10, 25. I told you and you believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me, but you believe not because you're not of my sheep as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now, there, there's, a, there's a whole string of ands here. Um, back when I was growing up, there was a show on TV called Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, this generation is coming up nowadays. No, don't know nothing about this, but 
uh, uh, it's a, it's a little cartoon. Saturday mornings were days of sitting in front of the TV watching cartoons, eating cereal, and reading the back of the cereal box. That's what we did. I could not get up early for school. I did not get up early for church. I do not get up early for work. But as God is my witness, I can get up early on Saturday morning for cereal and cartoons. That's the way it happened. We'd sit down on Saturday mornings about 7, 7.30, and we'd start watching cartoons. Looney Tunes. And Schoolhouse Rock. And Schoolhouse Rock had one song called Conjunction Junction. What's your function? Hooking up phrases and clauses and words and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 but, and, or, and this, that, and the other. And at, at, the word and is a conjunction. And it was a, it was a, a train yard is what the, the cartoon was. And, and you had the and that would connect this train with that train and a but would connect this train and that train and they just connect and connect and connect. And it's a conjunction, func- conjunction, junction. That was the function. And here's the function of the word and here, it's going to connect this train car and it's going to connect this train car and this train car. And look at this. He says, my sheep hear my voice. It's not that my sheep request my voice. But first and foremost, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. This is not the fact that he intellectually knows them. I think people get confused about that. When God told Israel in the Old Testament in the book of Amos, you only, all the nations of the earth, you only have I known. To make that an intellectual knowledge would make God look like an idiot. You're telling me the God of this universe, the sovereign being of this universe, the omniscient, all-knowing being of this universe, only knew Israel. He didn't know the Amorites. He didn't know the Jebusites. He didn't know the Canaanites. He knew exactly who they were. He intellectually knew who they were. But when he says, I know them, the term know is the same know that Mary said when the angel said to Mary, thou shalt bring forth a son. And she says, how is this? How can that be seeing I, I know not a man? I've not had intimate relations with a man in a romantic way. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I love them. I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's quite a conjunction junction, isn't it? Right in the middle of this, in verse 29... This is kind of, uh, that's all been pretext, I guess. That's all been introduction. Right in the middle of verse 29, or right here at the beginning of verse 29, is this very phrase right here. My Father, which gave them me. Remember we read that in John 5, where he said that the work that my Father given to me to finish, God's given something here. And he says here, my Father, which gave them me. 
The Father has given something. Not offered. Something is given to someone. This is played out as well in John chapter 6 and verse 37. John chapter 6 and verse 37 makes this statement. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now oftentimes if you ever hear that in the world around you, that verse right there gets broken in half a lot of times. Uh, you know, you might can listen to the radio and you might hear the late uh, Adrian Rogers or the late Billy Graham or the late J. Vernon McGee, and, they, and they'll, they'll come across this, this verse right here. And while I like to listen to what they have, and a lot of times they have some good things to say, they come across this verse, and this verse right here gets broken in half a lot of times. They forget that it says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And all they look at and they say, He that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. So if you just come, any man, Jesus won't cast you out. That's not what that text says, is it? The text starts and first says, All the Father gives me will come to me. And he of the Father that gives me, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now, how many will come unto Christ? All that the Father gives. It's just very simple. How many people are going to be in heaven? Do you have any idea how many people are going to be in heaven? Here's your answer. All that the Father gave Christ. Every one of them. Without exception. There's no, there's no argument that something has been given to someone. There is no argument then in this text of John 10 that there is a people that have been given to the Son. That He did not just arbitrarily come into this world for a generic, general purpose. He came into this world for a specific purpose. And that was to give His specific life for a specific people. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 13. The Bible says that Jesus will stand before God and say, Behold, I and the children which Thou hast given Me. Just go ahead and lock that door. Behold, I and the children which Thou hast given Me. Somebody gave something to Christ, right? Somebody gave something to Christ, right? A bunch of children were given to Him. And he'll stand before God and he'll say, Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. God says, I've got something important here. God says, I've got something of value here. I need somebody to take care of it. And that very one that shall take care of it is Christ himself. Y'all believe that? Is that okay what I've said thus far? Y'all agree with that? It's true, right? Here's the thought, though, that has 
that has come to my mind many times. My father, which gave them me. That's the phrase, right? You notice the word them is in italics? Y'all notice that? Have you ever noticed there are many words in italics in the King James Bible? Do you know why the words are in italics in the King James Bible? It's a translation understanding issue. So when, when the translators came across a phrase in Greek or Hebrew, however it was, translating it into English, if they translate it word for word into English, there's going to be some gaps. There's going to be some things missing. And so the italic words are, are put in there by the translators to kind of clarify meaning. And they were so honest with what they were doing, they wanted you to know this. That's why they did that. That's why this is a more trustworthy uh, translation of the Bible than a lot of the stuff that comes out nowadays because they don't do that. They just tell you what they think it says. Well, I don't need you to paraphrase the Bible for me. I need the Holy Ghost to tell me what it says. Excuse me. You can tell me what it says. I need him to tell me what it means. But let's look at this phrase and let's just take out that word then. And it says, My Father which gave me. There's no doubt that there was a people given to Christ, right? There's no doubt somebody was given to the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, as a child of God, there's something that's been given to you. My Father, which gave me. Why is it that they shall never perish? Because my Father gave me. Why is it that no man can pluck them out of my hand? Because my Father gave me. When I was six-ish, my father came home from work one day. And as he opened the door, inbounded in the house, was a puppy. Sort of. I, you know, I, I guess that was a long time ago. I guess it was a puppy. You know, all dogs are puppies, right? Little bitty ones are puppies. Medium-sized ones are puppies. Great big ones, puppies, right? See, my father gave me a puppy. Gave me a bird dog, white, named Scooter. Dumbest bird dog ever. When I was eight, we were down in Dublin, Georgia, visiting my mother's family. My, fa- uh, uh, my grandfather and his son, my Uncle Gene, uh, ran uh, a filling station down there in Dublin. And so we're down there at the filling station hanging out right next to the filling station. Brick building. Inside this brick building, they sell motorcycles. You should have seen the look on my mama's face. We pull back up at the old home place there in Dublin, and in the back of the pickup truck is a motorcycle for her eight-year-old angel. My father gave me a motorcycle. Many times, uh, my father gave me a lecture. And oftentimes, if 
The lecture didn't take. My father gave me a whipping. It's interesting that we would use that phrase that my father gave me a dog, my father gave me a motorcycle, my father gave me a lecture, my father definitely gave me a whipping. Uh, at no time in our thought process of my father giving me a lecture or my father giving me a, whip, a whipping, in, at no time in our thought process does it ever run through your mind that this whipping was a cooperative effect. At any time... Would you say, did your father offer to give you a whipping? That's not. That doesn't go through your mind, does it? There was just something over here, and it got transferred over there. The Board of Education applied to the seat of learning. Board of Education, seat, okay. You say, what's the purpose in all this? God doesn't offer eternal life. God gives it. It is a gift from Almighty God. Why? Because God gave Christ. The Bible's full of God giving things. Uh, Ezra chapter 5 verse 12 is a real good one. But... If you, even if you don't turn there, you can turn to many places in the Scripture, and you can find that God oftentimes got tired of Israel's disobedience, and He gave them into the hand of their enemies. Ezra chapter 5, verse 12, they're sort of rehearsing that whole thing, how that God had gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. In Romans chapter 1, you find somewhat of a documentary on the American culture today. This is not so much any more biblical history. This is not so much any more biblical record. This is now uh, a documentary on the American public in Romans chapter 1, where it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 24 that God gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, that God gave them up unto vile affections. Verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. A mind void of common sense. A mind void of decency. I, I, was, I was telling someone, some of them at the table, uh, really Friday night at supper, uh, how dangerous this upcoming generation is. This upcoming generation is not dangerous necessarily because it is violent. It is not dangerous because it is strong and overpowering. It is dangerous because it is willingly ignorant and stupid. So this, this uh, social media has, is as... As with most, most things put into the hands of sin, sinful men, everything that could have been used for absolute good has somewhat more corruption than anything. But because of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, take your pick, doesn't matter. Somebody like me who's a nobody can get out here and put my opinions out here on the airwaves for everybody. I don't have to go down to the radio station 
You know, I don't have to get a contract to go sit down behind a microphone down here at some big radio station. I can just broadcast it out here. Well, in so doing, uh, a lot of people who maybe don't have access to that or who would be shut out from that can just put our views out here through social media. And so, there, you know, there's this guy that has this, uh, he has a podcast that's televised. He can also put it on YouTube so you can see what you're looking at. And he asks this question. He's trying to defend uh, that God created marriage between man and woman to this group of girls. And he says that God made them male and female. She said, yeah, them. Right. He made them male, yeah, male, female, and them. That's not what that means. That male, female, them, he, yeah, them. And, and she constantly is arguing this ignorant point. That she's no longer arguing truth. She's arguing her brainwashed, woke agenda. The term them in Genesis is a pronoun that refers back to male and female. If they'd watched Schoolhouse Rock, they'd learn about that too. But uh, the upcoming generation is dangerous because they're ignorant. They're willingly ignorant. And in so doing, they chop down the very structures and destroy the very foundations that their society is built on. And I happen to think maybe God has just given these people over to a reprobate mind. All God has to do is just withdraw His guiding hand. And man will destroy himself, really. Anybody disagree with what I've said? Even the staunchest Armenian would agree with what I've just said. That all God has to do is withdraw His hand from us and we will destroy ourselves. Never do they say, God's going to give an option. God just does it. Right? But when it comes to the issue of salvation, it's always an option. God's going to plead with you. God's going to ask you. God's going to beg you. And if you don't work with God, then I guess there's no other choice. Um, my father did not plead with me to discipline me. And when I came forth into this world, born <clears throat> many years ago, I possessed life, life that was given to me because my natural father and my natural mother did a natural act and it gave me life. It's not an offering. It just was. There's a bunch of positives in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter three. We know this one. First Corinthians chapter three, verse six, that Paul says, uh, he planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. When Paul was instructing Timothy, and this is this is probably a verse 
that most every one of us need to memorize. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy. And he says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7, Consider what I tell thee. Consider what I teach thee. Consider this. But the Lord give thee understanding in all things. You may say, well, why is the preacher so so hesitant to uh, be staunch sometimes when he's counseling us to tell us exactly what to do? Well, we've already covered that, haven't we? Because when you start telling people what to do, you may very quickly become responsible for the results of their actions. So I say to thee, consider diligently what I say to thee. But let the Lord give the understanding in this matter. Here, uh, I'll move on. John 6. One of the great things about the coming of Christ Jesus was the fulfilling of all the laws, but the fulfilling also of the types and shadows uh, that, that just covered the Old Testament. John chapter 6, the statement is in verse 31, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. But my Father giveth you the true bread. From heaven. That manna that fell to them every morning, except the Sabbath morning, for 40 years, was graciously given by God. It was indeed a sustainer for them in that day. So in your reading this week, did y'all come across any of that where Moses is reminding them that this little bread that fell from heaven was white like a little coriander seed? It says that your feet did not swell and your clothes didn't, didn't uh, outgrow you. Can you imagine being a parent? Wow. And for the next 40 years, never had to buy another sock, another shoe, or another pair of pants for your child. That as your child grew, the clothes grew with them. <laughs> Oh, man, hallelujah. Man, if I could have a miracle, man, that'd be great. You know, I'd, I'd like to see the resurrected dead once in a while. There's few folks that have departed this life that, that I'd rather have them back. I, I'd, I'd like to see all disease diminished. But I tell you what, the most frustrating thing that I've ever had to do is put clothes on a giraffe. Fine. Man. It's like, it's like these, these people that make these clothes ain't never seen somebody that looks like this. I mean, the whole fashion world is, is run by gay men who, who parade these women down the street that look like 14-year-old boys, but they don't look like my 14-year-old boys. And it'd just be great. Go get your shoes. Put them on. Wow. Had these same shoes 35 years. Of course, I've kind of now reached that point in my life. I often heard people say, I've got clothes older than you. 
I've reached that point in my life where I have T-shirts that I wore in high school and I have sweatshirts that I wore in high school. Fit a little snugger now than they used to, but I do have clothes older than a lot of you in here. Good grief. But that bread that fell from heaven that fed them and caused them to grow appropriately and, and was health to their bones in the wilderness was not to point us to the fact that God would just rain things out of heaven for us. They pointed us to the coming of Christ. He was the true bread that came down from heaven. He is the true bread that we feast on each and every day. There was a family that was here Friday night. I don't know if any of y'all met them or spoke to them. Sat right up here on the front left. They told me that they were back row Baptists and they came here and sat up right up on the front. And I said, maybe you're confused. You're in the wrong spot. Um, of course, I did tell them, said, we got some back row Baptists here, so if you don't get up there and get a seat early, you may be in the middle. So pray for them. The lady is disheartened with her church. She messaged me Friday night and she said, I sat there during the singing and I just tried to soak it all in and absorb it. And she said it, w- it was just an experience I've never had to sit in the midst of a congregation that I truly felt it was Christ-centered worship. That's what this is about. It's not about rules. Though we got ten of them. But it's about Christ. And He was that bread that came down from heaven. In 1 Kings, 1 Kings uh, chapter 4, there was a time when uh, there's a man named Solomon who's leading the nation of Israel. And God essentially just said unto him, uh, I'm going to give you a blank check and I'm going to sign it. And, you know, just whatever you want from me, just ask it. You know, Solomon could have asked for a lot of things. Solomon could have asked for riches. Solomon could have asked for power. He could have asked for fame. But instead, Solomon asked for wisdom. Grant me wisdom that I could lead this so great a people. The Bible tells us there in 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 29 that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding. Your pastor needs the presence of the Holy Ghost on Sunday morning to stand up and, and make the sermon most interesting. I, I feel like maybe we could go two hours on a sermon if the sermon was interesting. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I could sit there that long and listen to one man just ramble on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Need I say one phrase? March Madness. Wish to the good Lord I'd on Friday afternoon that March Madness was in town. Wouldn't even have gone there. 
But if you can sit and watch your team lose two and a half hours, or you can watch some movie where they're cursing at you and killing everybody on screen for two hours, surely you can sit and listen to the Lord for two hours? Maybe we'll try that one Sunday. Well, if the Lord makes it interesting, though, you're not going to care. I mean, how long? How many times have you ever been sitting here and, and I close the book and you're like, well, are we already done? Why? Wasn't a preacher. God made it interesting. God needs to make all this interesting. He needs to make this relevant. But outside of that, your pastor needs wisdom. And he needs understanding. Says God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding. But when it came to the coming of Jesus Christ, he said Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as just one of the lilies of the field. But then Jesus looked and he said, you see this temple here? You see Solomon's temple? He said, I assure you that in this place is one greater than the temple. And I also assure you that there's one greater than Solomon himself. So that's the theme about the book of Hebrews. When you go back and you read Hebrews, the theme of Hebrews is better. Everything that you have now in the gospel church is better, 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 better than they ever have. He says there's one greater than the temple. There's one greater than Jonas. There's one greater than Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man ever, was he not? He's recorded as the wisest king Israel ever had but wasn't wise enough to control his own self. Wasn't wise enough to learn from the mistakes of the heathens. And you and I will have to say our own selves when we look at the mirror at our own self. I have been foolish enough not to even learn from the mistakes of the heathen around me. The good news, the greatness about Jesus Christ is, the Bible says, my Father which gave them me. He gave us Jesus Christ. It is, it is Christ in you. Paul says it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. It's not the understanding that God gives you in His book which that does bring us hope. It, it, it's not an intellectual mind thing. It's Christ in you. Why do we have the hope of glory? Because Christ is in us. He's not just life. He is our life. That's what Paul says in Rome, in First uh, Corinthians chapter one. Many, many years ago, many years ago, there was a preacher that took the pulpit, and he said, "I come to you today from uh, the radio station WRSR." Thinking, what in the world? First Corinthians chapter one, verse thirty says, "But of him." Are ye in Christ Jesus? Now, that's a wonderful phrase right there in and of itself. Of Him are ye in Christ. You listening to that? Of Him are ye in Christ. How'd you get in Christ? Did you choose to be in Christ? Did you step forward to get in Christ? Did you believe? No, it says, of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. So, when you get to them other passages about being baptized into Christ and things like that, they, got, they have a different meaning. Then. They're not the initial life-giving position in Christ. They're something completely different. Of God are ye, first and foremost, chosen in Christ before the world began. Ephesians chapter 1. 
Of Him are ye in Christ, who was made unto us all wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Station WRSR. That according as it is written, listen to this, He that glorieth, are you listening? He that glorieth, let him glory in the fact he came forward at the altar call. It's not what it says, is it? He that glorieth, let him glory in the fact that he was baptized for his sins. It's not what it says. He that glorieth, let him glory in one thing. Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking that, yes, Father which gave me, the Father which gave me, there was definitely, there's definitely a truth that there was a Son given to a people. There was a people given to the Son, but Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 6 says, Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. I'm going to tell you, it's not just the fact that it's a, 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 it's not just a, a son that was born of a woman. It's not just that. The Bible tells us that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. That doesn't have anything to do with generation. That doesn't have anything to do with birth. He's the firstborn. And when you go back and you read the Old Testament, it's about the firstborn. The firstborn meant preeminence. Meant authority. He was the one who has the authority in the Father's house. He's the one who has the authority to execute the Father's will. Father passes all the responsibility down to that firstborn son. He's in charge. I was thinking about this. I thought, you know... That's right. If somebody has a peanut allergy, and they come in contact with peanuts, they start having allergic reactions to it, right? What are you going to do about that? You give epinephrine. Yeah, epinephrine. To somebody to counteract life-threatening Allergy things, right? Just run over, boom, give it to them, right? Put it in them. Sometimes EMTs will be called to a place and uh, they'll have, they'll be, somebody's passed out on the floor. There's a drug overdose. Maybe they've overdosed on heroin or this nasty stuff that's going around nowadays. Uh, they give something called naloxone, naloxone, N-A-L-O-X-O-N-E. Counteracts the, the, Overdose effects. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and they shall never perish. Why? He gave us Christ. So here's His body laid out here on the floor. Is the body alive? Barely, right? Are they breathing? Sort of. Do they still have a pulse? Yes. Blood still rushing through their veins? Yes. Are they alive? Do they know it? Probably not. Can they do anything about it? 
Uh-huh. What's happening here? You've got this living being here who's got something in him that's overtaking his life. See, when I, when I hear preachers talk about sin nowadays, I oftentimes think that they, they think that, uh, that we can live independent of our sin. That somebody can sit down and go be another person and a little bit later and come back and, and put it back on and carry it with me and, or set it. About like makeup. You know, makeup can make you look pretty, can't make you act pretty. We have a saying in our house to the kids, hey, look, just because you look ugly, it don't mean you got to act ugly. You can put on all the makeup you want, make you look pretty. You're not going to make you act pretty. I guess we men are kind of stuck. We look ugly and ain't nothing we do about it. Clothes. Clothes really don't have an effect on you, right? I mean, they can cover your nakedness, but underneath all these clothes, I'm just naked as a jaybird, right? Adam could cover himself with fig leaves all he wanted. And the fig leaves could cover his nakedness, but they couldn't cover his shame. And I think a lot of these churches out here think that this sin is something that just sort of, it's like, you know, a quarter of my pocket. If I want to, if I want to stick a bubble gum or something from the little swirly machine, I can pull out a quarter and, and, and use it and, and it doesn't really have an effect on me. I tell you what, my friends, sin is so effectual on people, they don't even know they got it sometimes. It affects everything they do, everything they think, everything they say, everywhere they go. And what happens? The EMT comes along. Here's a person in trouble. Give something to them. And it floods their soul, floods their body, and it overcomes the effect of that disease on them. What's the purpose of Christ? But the fact that God, our Father, has given Christ to us. He's come in and He's take up residence in our life. Now, I do, I do realize that as we live here in this world, I carry sin with me every day. It is something that affects me and you on a regular basis. And there will never come a point where you and I will ever live above sin. Except one time, Elder Sonny Pilots was telling us time about he was traveling across country. He'd been at a preacher's meeting and he's traveling way back and, you know, he's got his wife and his children with him and he's like most foolish people at that time. He'd, he'd get in the car and just drive and drive and drive and drive and drive and drive and drive because he couldn't drive no more. Any of y'all ever have a dad like that? Just get in and go. Now. Got to pee. Don't care. Hold it. I'm hungry. Don't care. You want some crackers? Bite your arm. Yep, doesn't matter. He said, I drove and I drove and I drove. Finally, he was just so late. Couldn't drive any further. Pulled up at this little hole in the wall, hotel, motel, rat hole in the wall thing. And all the rooms were taken up except one. There was one that was above the bar of the juke joint. And he said, there's been one time in my life I lived above sin. That night. So I kind of learned after that that, you know what, middle of the afternoon, 6, 7 o'clock, we might as well just stop, pull over, have a bite to eat, find a good place to live. The only time I've ever lived above sin. I guess I could say I live above sin now. My house is up on a hill. And i got a bunch of people down below me. At about 3 o'clock in the morning, they want to let you know, I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm awake. Good for you. Go back to bed. 
No, I need to let you know. Boonger, boonger, boonger. I'm awake. Thinking, where's the police officer when I need him out there giving somebody without a seatbelt a speeding ticket probably. You know, something stupid. Went to uh, Huddle House, Waffle House, any of these little greasy spoons, blessed of God places. Waitress is always going to come up and say, darling, can I do anything for you? Yeah, you can quit calling me darling in front of my wife. But they, they say that, don't they? That's a, that's a southern thing. Darling, can I help you? Uh, did you know that the word darling appears in the Bible? Here's twice. The word darling appears in the Bible twice. Psalm 22, verse 20. Psalm 35, 17. Every single time it refers to the person of Jesus Christ. There's a messianic psalms. Deliver my darling from the dogs that surround him. You know, from the power of the sword. Go back and read them. Listen to this. God has not just sent a messenger boy. God has sent his darling Son. He has sent the very crown jewel of heaven itself. No greater jewel could have come out of heaven than Christ Jesus our Lord. He has sent, He has given unto us the one in whom was life. And John would tell us in John 1, and that life was the light of men. He has injected into this world into the hearts of His elect people. The Spirit of Christ. Paul says in Romans 8 that it's the Spirit of Christ that's made me free from the law of sin and death. I'll go through this life the rest of my days. A bunch of sin in me. Everywhere I look, everywhere I go. Kind of interesting that you, you will run into some folks around that nowadays that think you can just uh, progress in sanctification so much that you'll eventually, you know, live above sin, live without sin. Funny thing is, is the longer they sit here and tell you they've not sinned in six months or six years, uh, <clears throat> brother, the sin's kind of creeping out of you. All your hair's turned gray. Most of it's turned loose. You got some wrinkles there. You see, going deaf, going blind. These are all these are all effects of sin. Ezekiel, uh, not not Ezekiel, Ecclesiastes twelve. When Solomon gives that 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 last description. Uh, of the falling of human life, that the keepers to the outside, the, the doors will shut, and you're not going to be able to hear it anymore, and the, and the blinds are going to be closed, and, and those that kept the body are going to bow and bend over like, like everything that's listed in Ecclesiastes 12 about the destruction of the flesh is a result of sin. And if you're telling me that you can go through this life and live above sin. I assume that you're telling me 
that you're never going to die. Because, see, Jesus Christ didn't die as much as he gave his life. There's a difference. I will succumb to death. He said, I'm done with this. I'm going somewhere else. And he gave up the ghost. I cannot just give up the ghost. I have to have help. Either old age is going to kill me, or a car is going to kill me, or I'm going to kill myself. But I can't just step out and be gone. And he did. He said, I'm done with this. The works that my father gave me, I've done them. And it's finished. My father, which gave them me. I've not been given any better gift. You've not been given any better gift in your life than the person of Jesus Christ. He's the greatest gift ever known. The greatest giver is God, and every good and perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, to whom is no variableness, nor shadow of turning. And boy, it is going to be great. Just like Brother Jerry prayed earlier this morning. It is going to be great. When we stand in glory, and we don't know sin, and we don't know sorrow, and we don't know anything about this life. And at that point, our best life will have begun. Boy, it's going to be a great time. Uh, Let's stand and sing a closing hymn at this time.